Uh, Let us now open the Word of God. Uh, Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 17. Second Kings 17, we'll read verses 1 through 23. In the twelfth year of Ahaz king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to Saul, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison, Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Syria, and placed them in Hala, and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt and from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city, They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of whom the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the, in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings, and used divination and omens, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. 
When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel for following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So far the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the most important chapter in the book of First and Second Kings. Uh, all the time that we've spent in Kings, which has been almost two years now, uh, at least the, the span of time uh, has been that long, uh, it's leading up to this point in the book of Kings. This is the, the centerpiece, so to speak, of, of the book of Kings. Uh, everything that, uh, that God had, had declared through the prophets uh, about why Israel was exiled that we see here in Second in Kings uh, serves to illustrate why God sent them out, which is what this chapter is all about. Now, that makes it a hard uh, chapter to, to preach in a way that, that does it justice. There's a lot in this chapter, a lot that could be said about this chapter. Uh, but uh, hopefully much of that has been said over the last uh, couple of years. What I think we should do as we look at this chapter then is join the authors of Kings in asking the question, Why? Why did this happen? Why did God uh, do this? And, and also the question, how? How did it happen that Israel came to this point? Uh, if you look at that, that tragic spiritual decline and, and eventually apostasy that happened in Israel, uh, you have to ask the question, how? How did it happen that they fell so far from where they were? Uh, that's the question that, that this chapter in particular focuses on. Uh, the chapter describes the siege and fall of Samaria in verses 1 through 6, just six short verses describing the most traumatic event that's ever happened in Israel's uh, existence. Uh, and then the rest of the chapter begins with the phrase, this happened because... And it begins to describe the apostasy, the decline in Israel. And that's what we want to think about as well. How did this happen and why? It's a question that, that ought to be immediately relevant to us. And even, if I may say so, even frightening to us. Uh, how is it that the covenant people of God, the people whom God Loved The people who, at least for a time, seemed to love God, how could they fall into such abysmal apostasy and, and disgrace to reach a point where God says, I'm casting them out of my sight forever, as God does in this chapter? If, how did that happen? And if it could happen to them, could it also happen to us? You know, the author of Hebrews, reflecting on this very thing, uh, many years later, he says in Hebrews 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And what it says in that, in that verse is, is what we see in this chapter. An evil, unbelieving heart 
leading you to fall away from the living God. It's a warning then that we as a church must heed. These, these chapters are in Scripture for our warning, for our instruction. Uh, and it's a warning that then the author to Hebrews says we ought to take to heart uh, by, by all of us as a church and by each of us as individuals. What happened to Israel has happened to other nations, other churches as well. Uh, to other denominations, to other federations, and to many, many individuals. That spiritual decline that leads to apostasy. Uh, so it's a good question to ask, how does it happen that those who once loved and feared the Lord, or at least appeared to do so, have now fallen so far from Him? Uh, Perhaps you, uh, you meet people in our community, I certainly do uh, quite often, uh, people who, who once used to go to church. Uh, they, they talk about how 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they used to go to church. And, and they're not really sure oftentimes why they stopped. Uh, but they've long stopped going to church. They've lost their, their Christian identity. They, they may still call themselves Christians, but there's no Christian practice. There's no Christian commitment. And, and many of them oft, uh, oftentimes ask the question with the same perplexity. How did it happen that I've gone so far from where I once was? Well, the answer this chapter gives us, uh, how did it happen? The answer is gradually. Gradually. It happened gradually. Uh, And it happened because that heart of unbelief that Hebrews talks about, that heart of unbelief was left unguarded, unwatched, unchecked, uh, and and, in this case, over several centuries, uh, deteriorated more and more on that spiritual decline until we arrive at this abysmal state. If that's not a frightening warning to each of us and and to all of us together as a church, uh, then perhaps we are in greater danger still uh, than we realize so let's break it down. What happened to Israel? How did they reach this, this level of, of decay? Uh, the text points us to, to several factors. Uh, number one, they forgot. They forgot God's blessings in the past. Uh, verse 7, This occurred because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, that verse doesn't specifically mention forgetting, but the reason it describes this is what God did for them. This is how God brought them out of Egypt is to highlight they forgot. They forgot it. They, They failed to remember what God had done. And it was the first step on the road to apostasy. They forgot or perhaps no longer believed what God had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt. Uh, Perhaps too many centuries had had gone by. Uh, Maybe the stories that their fathers told them, as as we hear about in in Psalm 78, which we sing together, the stories that their fathers told them perhaps uh, no longer felt credible. Perhaps they thought these are just myths. These are uh, stories of, of bygone times. And so they forgot God's work of salvation, bringing them from Egypt to to where they were. And when they forgot, they lost their identity as the people whom God had saved. Uh, They forgot, so they lost their identity. So with us, the Christian, the Christian who's forgotten 
the magnitude of what God has done for him in rescuing him uh, in Christ by the blood of Christ. The Christian who's forgotten that has already lost his footing uh, and, and is on the way to apostasy, is swimming in dangerous waters. It's very easy for us to make the exact same mistake, to just forget as the years go by, to forget, to allow the the news of God's grace in Christ to grow old, to to start to sound like old news, uh, tired news. Uh, And and so we allow uh, our hearts to grow cold to that news. But it's a deadly thing to do. It's not for nothing that the the Apostle Paul's number one command to the churches that he writes to, his number one command is rejoice and be thankful. Rejoice and be thankful. Uh, Gratitude for God's mercy is is the most secure shield uh, against our faith to keep us from apostasy, that we are daily rejoicing and giving thanks for what God has done for us. If you forget you lose your sense of identity. Now, how often it does happen. Many of us know people like this. People who once were uh, seemingly filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, people who once worshipped with joy. Who, who were able to stand firm on God's Word. And who over the years forgot the, the, the goodness of, of the Gospel news. Uh, how often it happens that, that churches and church federations uh, do the same. They slowly, gradually move away from the, the centerpiece of the gospel uh, because it's old news and they shift their emphasis to something else. They get interested in, in something else. Uh, and how devastating it is when a church does that. How quickly it leads to apostasy. Uh, for, for the people of Israel, then, if the news of Exodus uh, was true, uh, which it was, then it ought never to have been old news. How, how does a, a news like that ever become old news? Uh, every Israelite man and woman should have woken up uh, every day with the first thought being, praise God that I'm not a slave in Egypt, which I would be had God not brought me or my forefathers out of there. Uh, if it was not for the mighty hand of God, I would still be there. That's the thought that should have been in every Israelite man and woman's mind. So with us, every Christian uh, ought, to, ought to wake up with the thought, praise God that I, uh, who by nature belong to the old kingdom of darkness, and I see it, all around me, praise God that I, who once was enslaved to sin and spiritually lost uh, and destined for judgment, have been brought out to know Christ, to be a part of Christ's church, uh, and to receive through Christ forgiveness of sins and inheritance into His kingdom. That ought to be for us the first thought on our minds. The gospel should never become old news. When it does, we as Christians are in danger. So how did Israel find itself in this dark place as a people uh, totally indistinguishable from the nations around them? It began with them forgetting or holding cheaply the, the news of God's grace to them in the past. The moment you forget what God has done for you, you forget who you are. You lose your very identity. 
That's the first step then on the road to spiritual decay. Uh, Secondly, we see that they imitated ungodly examples. Verse 8, they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. The story of Israel, uh, right back to the days of Moses, seems to constantly be one of yearning after the other nations. Uh, Even though God had had separated them from Egypt for himself and blessed them uh, with his very presence, it seems like they never stopped wishing that they could just be more like the nations around them. Uh, From the days of the judges, as we see them following after the Philistines, uh, uh, to the days of Samuel, where they demanded to have a king to be like the nations around them. Uh, And if we've seen anything during our last two years in the book of Kings, uh, it's that Israel's perennial temptation seems to be to imitate the nations around them and worship their God. They want to fit in into the world. Uh, Solomon built temples for the gods of, of his wives. Ahab and Jezebel popularized the worship of Baal uh, in Israel. Uh, Hosea, one of the, the very last prophets to speak to the nation of Israel uh, before it fell, uh, spoke of, of Israel chasing after her lovers, uh, which are the nations around them and their gods. They, there's this constant temptation to be like the world, to imitate the world. So God's people uh, forgot or devalued His blessings in the past and, and lost their sense of identity, and that left a void, a void that the world would fill. They imitated the nations around them. Now, when God's grace, here's the principle, when God's grace means little to you, then the opinions of the world will mean much to you. Uh, When God is small to you, then people will be big to you. If you do not fear God, you will fear and esteem the opinions of others. It's a question we should ask. Do we imitate ungodly examples? Uh, Who do you look up to? Uh, who, who do you call your heroes? Uh, who are uh, the posters? Uh, who are on the posters that you hang up in, in your rooms to you, young people? Who, who do you admire and wish to be like? Uh, who gets to sing the songs that you listen to in your time? Uh, who gets the, the, the right to your entertainment time? Uh, whose voices do you allow to preach to you day by day? Do you imitate ungodly examples. You know, never mind what rules we have for, for who gets to preach in this pulpit. We, we fight a lot about that as a federation, and rightly so. We guard the pulpit. But who gets to preach in the pulpit of your hearts? And it doesn't matter who's preaching here. If you are preaching or having, allowing preaching in your own hearts day by day to speak to you, uh, they will be the voices that you then follow. Uh, uh, through the books you read or the music you listen to or the sermons or podcasts that you listen to, who speaks to you? Uh, whose voices do you hear? Are they people who, who hold the Word of God high? Who esteem highly the, the, the fear of God? Who walk with integrity? Uh, who call you to deeper commitment and, and to, uh, to, to faithfulness to God? 
Or, or does the, the language that they use, or, or the issues that they care about, or the values that they uphold, conspicuously and increasingly resemble the language, the issues, and the values of the world around? Who do you imitate? Uh, who do you want to be like? What groups would you like to fit in with? Uh, who are the people you most enjoy being with? And David says in, in Psalm 16, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Is that your testimony? Uh, that, that as for the saints in the land, the, the, the members of the church, they're all my delight. I love to be with them. Uh, do you delight in the company of those who love and fear the Lord? Or do you enjoy more the company of those uh, who happen to be unbelievers? The telling question and we see how Israel answered that question who do you imitate as Christians of course we are called in the first place to imitate uh, Christ our king uh, to 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 esteem him above all else uh, it is his footsteps we are to follow we are his disciples uh, but of course as we follow the lord there are are going to be others that we will do well to imitate. Uh, if we follow the footsteps of Christ, we, we then follow the footsteps of, of those who've gone before us faithfully, following in the footsteps of Christ. As the Apostle Paul says uh, in, in Philippians 3.17, he, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, whose example, speaking earthly here, whose earthly example are you imitating? Who do you uh, want to be more like, uh, humanly speaking? Uh, are they men and women of, of courage and faith in Christ? Or are they people who belong to the kingdom of darkness? It's a telling question, and we know how Israel answered that question. So how did Israel get to this point that we find them here in, in, in chapter 17? Well, first, they forgot or devalued the, the promises and, and grace of God. Secondly, they followed ungodly examples. Thirdly, they refused to receive godly correction. That's in verse 13. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers, that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but they were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They refused to receive godly correction. And we've seen this over and over and over in our last two years in the book of Kings. I remember the prophet uh, way back in, in 1 Kings 13 uh, when Jeroboam set up this golden calf and started a worship service uh, to this calf, how this prophet from Judah came uh, to him to rebuke him right there at the altar. Uh, if you remember how Jeroboam uh, pointed at, at, at the prophet and said, seize him, and God even withered his hand uh, so that he could not move it. Uh, God rebuked them over and over. You think of Elijah uh, on Mount Carmel with all the people of Israel uh, confronting Ahab and the prophets of Baal. God, it's God's grace that he warned them. You think of Micaiah uh, rebuking Ahab for, for refusing to consult the Lord, how he was thrown in jail as a result. 
You think of Elisha, how often Elisha called the people of Israel back to God, and how ultimately uh, Jehoram even tried to have him killed for doing so. All we have to do is open our Bibles, uh, and we find that, that a significant part of the Old Testament, you could flip open your Bible, and there's a good chance that you find yourself on a random page, uh, in, in a page of warnings and corrections. How often God warned the people of Israel, correcting them, admonishing them, confronting them, calling them back to the way of faith. Uh, And this verse, uh, in fact, points us even further back. It doesn't just mention prophets, it mentions seers. Uh, The the, the days of the seers was before the days of the prophets. Uh, This is the time of Samuel. And God's saying, even then, I was already warning you and admonishing you. In that generation too, I called you to repentance. And indeed, you can go all the way back to Moses, uh, who, who gave such a strict warning. And you think of the end of Deuteronomy, his strict warnings, don't follow in the ways of the nations around you. And yet here, here we are. Uh, the word that's used in verse 14 uh, for stubborn, it says they were stubborn, uh, literally uh, is, is stiff-necked. Uh, you hear this in, in the Deacon Stephen's uh, sermon later on in, in the book of Acts. And the idea of a, a stiff neck is, is an allusion uh, to a goat or a donkey uh, who you, you pull on them. If you've ever tried to pull on a goat or a donkey, their neck just stiffens up and they will not go. They refuse to budge. Uh, that's, that's what God says Israel was doing in the face of all of God's prophets who called them to repentance. And here's the thing. God sent correction is the last line of defense against spiritual apostasy. Uh, the wisdom, the wisdom to receive correction is one of the greatest themes in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. Proverbs six twenty three: The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 9, verse 7, Whoever corrects a scoffer will get himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. It is wisdom and it is blessing to receive admonishment and correction from those who love the Lord. A God-given correction, then, is the last line of defense against spiritual apostasy and hardening in sin. Uh, So again, we come back to that warning from Hebrews in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Rather, exhort one another, or you can say, admonish one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, The story of the falling away of of Israel is a story that is filled with correction, but correction that was not received. So, brothers and sisters, will you receive correction? Uh, Do you listen 
when other Christians rebuke you or admonish you? Uh, Particularly the elders whom God has placed over you. Do you listen when they admonish you? Or do you bow before correction and humble yourself under it? Or is it more like poking a bear? Uh, you've seen this. Do you recoil against it? Do you get on the offensive? Uh, do, you, do you make sure to give them a piece of your mind? That's the, that's the attitude we see in Israel. And correction's not easy to give. It's one of the hardest tasks that the elders have to perform. And we can imagine it was that much harder for the prophets who had to do this to the people of Israel, many of whom were killed for it. And sometimes, as an elder, you can choose your words carefully. You can seek to communicate love and concern. You can be careful not to rush to conclusions and listen with an open ear and still have it thrown back in your face, be met with hostility and and an unwillingness to receive correction. Sometimes it can be more subtle as well. We see this as well in the book of Kings, where sometimes correction is is graciously received by, by the kings, but then completely ignored. It's graciously, politely received, but totally ignored. Uh, Sometimes we also see in the book of Kings that correction gets ignored uh, because the people of God simply have contempt for the prophets. Uh, They they just think of them as these these backward, old-timers, you know, conservative radicals. Uh, Nobody actually listens to to them. Uh, We see that attitude in in Jeroboam as the prophets came to him. It's this prophet from Judah. He's got this uh, distinct accent from Judah, and and he's just rushed out of town uh, by the people of of Israel. They're old-timers. They're backwards. Get rid of them is the attitude you see in, in Israel. Uh, do you receive correction? Uh, the, the principle that Proverbs lays out is, uh, if we manage to do so, if we, or excuse me, if we manage to avoid correction, if we actually pull it off, we do so to our harm. If we avoid correction, we're doing ourselves no favors. Uh, that correction may well come from those who are, uh, in, your, uh, in your mind, less uh, intellectually informed, uh, less advanced in their thinking, less progressive in, in, in their uh, approach. Uh, you see how Ahaz uh, wanted to be a part of the world, and he adopts this, this, uh, this altar that he sees in Damascus and refuses to receive correction as a result because he sees himself as wiser. He sees himself as as in tune with where the world is at and he dismisses the correction he receives. Uh, That that correction may well come from those who are uh, less intellectual, less, uh, uh, less, less advanced, but who have in their favor a lifelong record of faithful service to God and love for their neighbor. Do you hear their correction? Don't dismiss it. Take it to heart. Uh, what, what Kings reminds us is God doesn't owe us correction. God doesn't owe us uh, that, that, that grace. If he gives it to us, we are to have a heart that's anxious even, eager even, to receive it and most careful not to reject or ignore it. So again, brothers and sisters, how well do you receive correction? Uh, Know this, to ignore or reject correction is to sign a spiritual death warrant. 
Uh, without a heart that's humble enough to receive correction, you will be lost. It is the last line of defense. And, and that's what we see in the nation of Israel. They refuse to receive correction right to the very end. Uh, you think of the Lord Jesus uh, when he spoke to the city of Jerusalem uh, in Matthew 24, or the last words of Matthew 23. Uh, he, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Uh, you think of, again of, of the deacon Stephen preaching uh, to, to the people of Judah in Acts 7. Uh, and he recounts this long, long history of their unwillingness to receive correction. And he concludes with these words, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You, who received the law as delivered by angels, but did not keep it. Uh, That's the story of Israel. And, And again, how did Israel respond when Stephen preached that sermon? They picked up stones to stone him. They were enraged. It says they ground their teeth at him. How did Israel get here then to this, this, this terrible place we find themselves in, in, in this chapter? They forgot or devalued God's blessings. They imitated ungodly examples and they refused correction. And so lastly, God gave them over to their sin. Israel became, uh, as a result, an unrecognizable people. Uh, Their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would not have even recognized them as their own children. Uh, They became indistinguishable from the nations around them. Uh, the, The text talks about high places built in every part of the land, pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree, male and female cult prostitutes that worked at all of those those private shrines. Uh, They went after false idols. And verse 16 paints it so so graphically. Uh, Verse 16, They abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves metal images of two calves. They made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him to anger. And here's the reality. If we are not watchful, engaged with the Word of God, and humble to receive correction, spiritual apostasy will be gradual and inevitable. Uh, Take care again, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, some of us uh, might, might uh, be wondering on this point, well, what about uh, the perseverance of the saints? Uh, does this not contradict that doctrine uh, that, that God will not permit to fall away those whom He has chosen? Uh, but, but here's the thing. Those whom God has chosen are those who, because of the fear of God, are constantly watchful. Uh, their watchfulness, their humility, and their repentance when it's needed, is the means by which they persevere. 
There are many others who believe themselves to be saved and therefore do not watch their hearts. And so that unbelieving evil heart is allowed to harden to the point where they fall away from the living God, covenantally speaking. Covenantally speaking, it is possible to fall away from the living God, to fall from God's covenant. And the list, is, the, the list of churches and, and denominations and, and individual Christians who've done so is not a short list. Uh, therefore, take care, be watchful, be humble. Uh, the sad ending to the history of, of Israel is that uh, once they finally became God, uh, it became indistinguishable from, from the nations around them, God actually cast them from his sight. Second uh, Kings 17 verse 18, The Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Uh, now, now, we might console ourselves by saying, well, yeah, but doesn't God uh, come back for them later? No, God doesn't. Uh, God came back for Judah. God never came back for Israel. They were cast out of his sight, and Israel, as a distinct people, ceased to exist. Uh, the Samaritans came back later, a blended, uh, mixed ethnicity uh, people, but those are no longer the old ten tribes. They're gone. They were wiped out there there was never a recovery uh, they were scattered among the nations and ceased to exist uh, take that to heart god's judgment is real uh, he does he he means it when he says it now the rest of the the, the book of kings is about judah in the in the few chapters that le- that are left the attention now uh, shifts to judah and it's bad news for Judah, because if you look at this list of things that Israel's guilty of, the things that led them to apostasy, uh, Judah is guilty of every one of the same things. Uh, and, and we see in, in the remaining chapters, we see that steady decline of the people of Judah as well. But there's one thing that's interesting with Judah. You notice there's no chapter like this at the end of Kings, for Judah. This chapter is here for Israel, the ten tribes. There's no chapter like it for Judah. Uh, Chapter 24 does talk about Judah's exile to Babylon, but the book of Kings ends uh, without a conclusion. It ends without a final judgment. And that's because as we look at the history of of Israel, we, we see on the one hand that the desperate hopelessness of the human condition. We see what leads to apostasy, that even God's people cannot uh, turn themselves from their own way, uh, and, and they end up right back in the world. But in Judah, there's something distinct. There's a promise. In Judah, there's a promise that holds them to God, the promise that God made to David despite all the same factors as, as those that led to Israel's apostasy and, and extinction. Uh, there's hope, and it's rooted not in the worthiness of Judah, but rooted in the promises of God. 
Judah was not cast out forever. Unlike Israel, uh, Judah, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but Judah did return after 70 years. Even though they were just as guilty as Israel of the exact same sins and then some. The last chapters of, of, of Kings talks about how they exceeded uh, Israel in their sin. Yet God had plans for Judah to preserve them anyways, not because of who they were, but because of who God is. Uh, that God would send to them the, the Messiah to deliver them from that apostasy that existed in their hearts, just like in the hearts of their brothers in Israel. And that's where we want to end uh, on this chapter as well. Uh, brothers and sisters, see it here. God's judgment is real. Uh, we should see that and we should tremble at that because this is you. This is you. This is us apart from the grace of God. If you don't see that and feel that, uh, then, then we are perhaps nearer to that judgment uh, than, than we realize. But it's precisely because this is us. This is our condition. Uh, our helplessness to save ourselves. It's because of that that God sent Christ into this world to be the Israel that Israel failed to be and to create by his life and his death and his resurrection to create a new people to which you and I belong. Here's the thing, when Moses warned the people of Israel with the strictest words, uh, do not go down this road. If you remember way back in in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses warns the people of Israel, don't go down this road. And the people actually promise Moses, we're not going to. Uh, He gives them all these warnings. They say, don't worry about it. We're not going to go down that road. Uh, But Moses himself, uh, in response to that, says, this day is going to come. Uh, this, this prof, these, these curses are going to happen. Uh, and Joshua has the same conversation as they go into the land. Joshua stops them again, has the same conversation with them. Uh, and listen to this from Joshua. Uh, Joshua 24. Uh, Joshua says to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake Him and serve foreign gods, He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you all this good. And the people say to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua says to the people, You are my witness, or you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen, to the, chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, Yes, we are witnesses. Well, in the end, Moses and Joshua were right. In and of ourselves, we are not able to serve the Lord. We cannot keep the law. Uh, Despite the best of our intentions, we will go down the road of apostasy if left to ourselves. And that is why God sent Jesus Christ. He sent Christ to be what you and I cannot be in our own strength. And we cannot just grit our teeth and say, we will not go down this road of apostasy, because we will. We can only run to the Savior Christ, who can be the people that we ourselves, by ourselves, cannot be. And that's why at the end of the day, the whole book of Kings is written to direct our eyes to Christ, that we would come to know the hopelessness of our own spiritual condition and flee to God, flee to Christ, the only one who can actually save us. 
So, brothers and sisters, we who uh, have the privilege of reading this book uh, uh, as those who have come to know Him can also learn from this book of who we would be apart from His grace. Uh, He has brought us from darkness to light. He has made us to belong to Him and has in Christ forgiven us our sins. Uh, And uh, and the failure that is the inevitable ending of Israel does not have to be our failure. Not because we're stronger, but because Christ is greater. Uh, There's a finish line in Christ that can be reached uh, by God's grace. It's not a hopeless battle. But as we hope in Christ, uh, we are called, as we look at this book of Kings, we are called for our part to tremble as we see what happened to Israel and to take care that it would not happen to us. Uh, we are given the Spirit for the, for the purpose of exhorting one another, instructing, admonishing one another, and guarding one another's hearts. The Spirit enables us to do this, and the Spirit calls us to do this. And as we look at the book of Kings, then, uh, we should learn this lesson. Take care that in the first place, we don't forget the Word of God, that we don't forget the grace of God and what He's done for us. Take care that that we do not imitate the world around us. Watch carefully whose approval you seek after. And number three, take care that you receive correction when it's given to you, that you receive it humbly and earnestly as a gift from God, as the last line of defense against apostasy. And if we do so, we may know with joy and confidence uh, that we are in the care of God who will not let us go down that road of apostasy. The Spirit is given to us precisely so that we may heed these warnings and actually, by God's grace, keep them. Uh, So with joy and confidence, then, we are called to entrust ourselves to the care of God who does love us and is able to keep us from stumbling right to the very end. In the last words of the book of Jude, He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Amen.